1889, the Eiffel Tower took pride of place in central Paris to mark the 100th anniversary of the French Revolution. Designed by a structural engineer, it has come to symbolize the liberty, equality and fraternity of France and attracts more visitors than any other paid tourist attraction in the world. Almost 100 years later, Richard Serra's Tilted Arc, a 120-foot-long unfinished plate of rust-covered steel, was erected in Manhattan. Polarizing supporters who viewed it as an important sculptural work and critics who perceived it as ugly, it was removed, never to be publicly displayed again. Throughout history, public art has played a vital role in communicating our culture and heritage, as well as representing our future. It has united nations like the Eiffel Tower and has been the cause of dissent and disunity like Tilted Arc. Either way, public art creates a conversation and adds a deeper meaning to our lives. So why does public art often take a back seat in modern design? And does it have a more significant role to play? And how can engineers contribute to a greater focus on art and design to communicate ideas and add meaning to our lives? Our two guests today are Matthew Tobin, founder and director of Urban Art Projects, a global leader in public art and architecturally designed solutions, and Veronica Nolan, design to innovate partner at global engineering and infrastructure advisory company, Oricon. Matt Tobin's Urban Art Projects collaborates with artists, architects, designers, and developers to bring uncommon creativity to the public realm. Matt, with his brother Daniel, founded the company in Brisbane, Australia in 1993 as a creative studio and workshop. 26 years later, Urban Art Projects is championing great artists and curating and designing public art experiences in cities across the world. As the Design to Innovate partner at Oricon, Victoria Nolan collaborates with clients to address complex issues and co-design the future. Her work in strategic planning and experience design is infused by design thinking and artistic inquiry and is the basis of her current doctoral research into how the arts are being engaged in businesses to enrich and transform people's experiences. Veronica and Matt are taking us on a journey to explore the value of public art in our lives and what role engineers can play in helping it to become a reality. How do art and engineering work together to memorialize the past, communicate our present and shape our future? Let's find out. Hi, Matt, and welcome to our podcast. Hi, thanks for inviting me. I understand you've just returned from New York where you've got one of your key offices now. Yes, I go up there regularly. We started at a design studio in New York about four to five years ago. We've most recently just purchased a, a foundry there to uh, replicate our manufacturing capability that we have in Australia and Shanghai. It's uh, a, a business very similar to ours, so the same culture. New York's a different type of art market than us. They, they cast in bronze, aluminium, stainless steel, iron, silver, and gold. Um, in fact, they, they cast the Academy Awards, which is interesting. Um, so, uh, um, so, you know, we can proud, be proud to say we now cast the Academy Awards. <laughs> um, uh, and, but their, their culture is all about um, quality of craftsmanship. So there's a very uh, 
long history of, of, of staff and their families working for this one business. Um, and, uh, you know, above all, uh, preserving the artist's creative intent is, is what the business is all about. And that primarily is what uh, has attracted us so much to, to that business. Wonderful. So that's a long way from um, where you started back in 1993 in a shed, I believe, with yes. your brother Dan. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, it seems uh, a world away, but it's... Uh, uh, 25 years is, as you know, goes pretty quickly. Um, <laughs> it does. And, and, and it's just been an organic process from, from a small business to a larger one. So. Yeah, wonderful. So I'm interested to know then what inspired you to take up a life in public art in the first place. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Daniel went to art college before me and I saw how much fun he was having and, and I followed him the year later. But uh, while at art college, we did a sort of apprenticeship at a, a small bronze casting foundry. And I suppose that gave us a, a little uh, a doorway into the world of creative elements for public spaces and the public realm and um, and, and a sort of a, a preliminary understanding of how those elements changed the way in which people interacted in public spaces or moved through public spaces. We were interested in art outside the gallery space. Mm. Um, the, the, the other part of uh, the art world at the time was if, if you went to uh, the Queensland Art Gallery, it was like visiting a church. You know, you had to speak in whispers. Uh, you sort of had to wear a button-down shirt. Um, you know, it was all very reverential when you visited, mm. uh, when you looked at art. Uh, and, and that didn't sit well with us. Uh, you know, when you go to mm. Goma today, there's kids running through, there's a lot of talking and chatter. It's a celebration of art rather than a, a reverential, respectful um, process of viewing art. Yeah. And it seems to me it's more about engaging people yes. in interaction as yes, opposed yeah, to yeah. revering. Yes. And I think in, in days gone by, uh, Art was about that experience, uh, you know, even the idea of theatre, you know, Shakespeare's time, they threw tomatoes at the actors and it was, a, right. it was an interaction between yeah. the audience. And, and somehow, as time went on, we, we turned all those processes into an audience that stands back and mm. a, a performers or an art process that, uh, that's revered, mm. I suppose. I think uh, public art or or, or public realm is a great space where creativity is forced to acknowledge the audience in a, and, and it's forced to fight with uh, a cacophony of other elements in the space to have its voice heard uh, with this passing audience that might not necessarily have time to stop and consider it or mm. uh, interact with it, but might also uh, pause to think about what that object might be doing in the space and, and what it's saying. Yeah. How does the public art do that? How does it have its voice and attract I mean, people? Public art's very diverse. So, um, you know, and we think about it more broadly, uh, you know, a great juggler can be like a public artwork in, in the public realm. But if you think about public art more traditionally as objects that is designed for the public realm, they do different things. Sometimes they celebrate our culture. Uh, sometimes they reflect on our history or, or memorialize uh, the past. Uh, and sometimes they imagine our future. If you think about 
the most well-known public artworks in the world. So the Statue of Liberty, mm. uh, you know, that was a gift to the city of New York. It, it wasn't a commission. Um, but uh, France gave this statue that, for, <laughs> against what's happening today, that, that really just reflected uh, freedom. Um, and it became a worldwide symbol uh, of uh, America's uh, belief around the freedom of people. Mm. And then there's other discovery artworks that communicate to a much more, uh, you know, uh, local audience. There was a cast bronze dog at Melbourne Square. But when it went through its first re renovation, the, the, this little dog was removed and the public were up in arms because it was their favourite little sculpture. People would pat it as they went past <laughs> it on the way to work. They all had a name for it. And uh, the team around the redevelopment of the square started to talk about not when the square would be complete, but when the dog would be returned uh, mm. to the square. I'm interested in the place that art plays in our individual lives there as humans. Mm. It's beyond entertainment or, um, you know, an added-on feature, yeah. isn't it? It's... You know, we all connect with, with different things. Uh, there's a famous boar. It's like a big wild pig yes. in Florence, uh, and it's been there for 100 years. <laughs> and uh, its nose is highly polished, and for some reason it's good luck to touch it on the nose. Uh and I sat and watched the people going past and uh, there's this old Italian woman with shopping bags who, without even looking, crossed the street, touched it on the, the nose and kept walking. And like she'd done that every day of her life for however long she'd lived there. When we talk about uh, human-centric design, it seems to me that perhaps that's where art has a strong presence. Yeah, uh, I'd agree with that. I think art's part of a suite of elements you need to make a space uh, attractive to people to either visit or pass through or um, hopefully to retain them in, them in that space for, for a length of time. So I think um, if you're designing for people to want to, if you want people to inhabit a space and you're designing for that space, you know, some of it's practical. You need some furniture there for them to sit on. You need some trees for shade. You need to create a, a space that, that feels nice. You might need a coffee shop so they grab a coffee and sit down. Um, but art lays uh, layers over a sense of, of culture and story. Uh, and I think the art allows people to talk about a space uh, and reflect on a space and talk about themselves. So it's a platform for conversation. I think so. Uh, thought and conversation and uh, consideration and mm. debate. And, yeah. Great. Thank you. Um, I'm aware that UAP can be considered a leader in art-led innovation. How would you describe art-led innovation? Um, we don't really describe it as art-led <laughs> innovation. It's a good it's question. Framed, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. So <laughs> we sort of think innovation, innovation's innovation across the board. So, uh, for instance, in our workshop at the moment, um, some of our staff and some of the artists we work with are using uh, virtual reality to pattern make and sculpt their work. So instead of sculpting their work out of clay, for instance, they're sculpting their work in virtual space. So in a way that's a technology, uh, uh, an innovative technology, it's allowing uh, an artist to to exploit that. So I would say innovation is something that people with a type of thought process or desire or 
who like a challenge in, engage with, and I'm not sure we we would call it art-led innovation or, or design-led innovation. So you think we're distinguishing between art and design in a way that actually doesn't make a lot of sense? Yeah, I think that's breaking down. I think yeah. we have we have designers who are considered artists. We have architects who are considered artists. Uh, we have artists that cross over into architecture. Um, I, I think as we move forward, the... Um, those definitions between artist, designer, um, architect, um, creator of any sort will um, becomes more about the idea, um, and and the idea is valuable, uh, not so necessarily the label on how you create that. What do you think is the relationship between art and engineering? I think certainly in the public art uh, realm, uh, the the dynamic is uh, often for the artist to try and stretch the engineer to soften, uh, st- stretch the rules a bit to to ensure the artwork remains beautiful or um, slender or sophisticated. Um, so sometimes the engineering process uh, needs to be much more dynamic where um, uh, you test this, uh, the engineering strength by making prototypes instead of looking at the maths because the maths are always going to say that artwork suddenly has to be, you know, uh, 10 mil thicker and um, uh, six foot wider at the base and, and that may not be good for the creative outcome. Um, but then at other times, the engineers are the ones who stretch the artists uh, and give them a framework that they could not have imagined uh, that was possible for their um, artwork, whether it's a whether it's a suspension methodology uh, or just a completely different way of working. So mm. I think when you've got a good engineer and a good artist together, um, some amazing outcomes can be, uh, can be pulled out. What do you think differentiates art and engineering? So to me, uh, um, art, if it's good art, uh, tells a story and speaks to your heart. And to me, engineering is about the most practical, pragmatic, way to solve a, uh, a structural problem. Um, so that could be, because I'm an artist saying that, not an engineer, and I'm sure an engineer would be quite articulate in defending a, 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 a deeper meaning, but I, I think art is often all about a communication from person to person, and engineering is often a pragmatic problem-solving device mm. that, that can sometimes be a beautiful artwork in itself, a, yes. a, a wonderful bridge, for instance. Um, but it is problem solving to start with, a different way of coming to a problem, but to solve a problem. Often um, engineers are, not, are referred to as not being very creative. Mm. Why do you think that is? Um, I think that's because pragmatism is forced upon them. We, none of us want a building to blow over in a cyclone or um, or to fall down in an earthquake. So, um, you know, most of their decisions have to be pragmatic and with a large degree of safety wrapped around them. Um, uh, but I think the engineers that um, get the opportunity to work on... Um, um, more design-driven projects um, can be just as much an artist as 
as an artist is. So there's a strong element of creativity. Oh, definitely, definitely. <laughs> so I think that goes, creativity goes across a whole range of professions. We just fail to recognise that. What would you say about how an arts education has influenced your career? That's a good question. <laughs> I, I think uh, my visual arts degree gave me uh, a desire to explore, so a desire to th- uh, think about possibility. So it taught me how to paint and mix oil paints and taught me how to life draw, but I think what visual arts did most for me was was make me think broadly, want to explore, want to be challenged. There appears to be a recent resurgence uh, of people talking about STEAM education. Yes. Okay. So the sciences, technology, yep. engineering, arts and mathematics. Yeah. How do you think these different domains work together? Uh, I think they continue to overlap more and more. Uh, in the future, we'll think about the idea as the most powerfully creative thing we as humans have, you know, and that idea can do fantastic things for society, whether it's the idea of an artist that might uh, put a work in a public space that that makes it a wonderful place to be, or it's the idea of a mathematician that describes gravity. Um, And I think we're starting to allow uh, people to move between uh, each of those areas. Um, And we're less hung up that you're an artist, you do this, uh, or you're a math, uh, you, you know, you're a mathematician, you do that. In the conversations that I ha- had around S- STEAM, I think uh, people do revert back to a safe place where uh, the visual arts is uh, still considered a hobby or a um, something you you don't you're not necessarily that serious about. Um, and I think it's a continual battle to, con- to reinforce its relevance. Um, and it's intriguing, really, because uh, if you go to any museum in the world, uh, what we've retained as humanity is the arts. That's the thing we have recorded and preserved. So as, as humans, for some reason, we've built these huge institutions and we've preserved... Um, uh, pottery from 8,000 years ago and bronze from 5,000 years ago. Uh, we go to visit it. We, it tells us about our culture. Um, so it's strange that we have to remind ourselves that we value creativity and, and uh, because that evidence is all around us. So intriguing. Out of all the you know, public art projects you've undertaken... Do you have a favourite? Well, uh, uh, the first one that comes to mind is a job we did with uh, Lena Yarankura, who's an Indigenous artist from Manangrida, and um, she makes camp dogs out of um, out of sedge grass, and she stuffs them. So they're they're the materials that are available to her. But these camp dogs are, are just gorgeous, charming uh, creatures, uh, and it's a job that's out at Brisbane Airport uh, at the commercial precinct. But I think what I love about it is the ability for a uh, a very traditional Indigenous woman from uh, a remote community in Northern Australia uh, to be able to communicate that joy about where she lives uh, so seamlessly into into an urban environment in in an Australian city. Um, And that work of hers actually would work 
anywhere in the world. And it's universal in a, uh, in a completely new medium, in a completely new space. Most recently on a different scale, uh, a memorial we did uh, with Idris Khan, a, a London-based artist, um, and it's a war memorial for uh, the Middle East. Uh, but it's a memorial to soldiers who have uh, been killed in, in wars in the region. When you approach it, the largest pieces are in front of you. And then as you meander through these large tablets that are sort of falling against each other, um, you get uh, a sense of quiet and, a, and, a, and you may no, not know at this stage it's a memorial to fallen soldiers. Uh, but there's something dramatic about it and something that makes you feel a little sad. Uh, by the time you've walked through it, uh, you're led by a, um, a small water feature to a, um, uh, to a pavilion. Um, uh, and Idris worked with Bureau Probates from Brisbane on this pavilion. And in the pavilion, uh, there's a, a glass work by Idris with uh, Middle Eastern poetry, and then there's uh, single tablets on the wall, and uh, there's maybe a thousand tablets, but uh, 200 of them roughly have names of them, and the soldiers who have died, and it's that sense of um, this won't stop. You know, there's when there's a name to a to a tablet, it reminds you actually a real person died and a real family mourns that person. Um, and there's more to come. Like that's the, there's, there's, these tablets are waiting for the next name of a fallen soldier. So I think that sort of work is a very powerful way of communicating to a people, you know, we respect our soldiers, um, but geez, the tragedy is we're gonna send more uh, to die. And, uh, and that starts that starts powerful conversations about whether we should be doing this, uh, why do we do this. Somehow it creates an environment that, that makes you think more deeply about something. You said earlier that you um, entered the public art realm um, because you saw how much fun your brother was having yes. at art college. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Is that still relevant uh, <laughs> for you today? Yeah, definitely. Like, uh, I, I love my job every, well, you know, there's parts of my job, like every job that you go, oh, Jesus, I wish I didn't have to do this. But um, it, uh, the, the um, joy in our job is every day we do something different, you know, um, or we see our team doing something different. Um, and uh, and most of the time what we do is meaningful and, and adds value to, um, uh, to people's lives somewhere. Um, uh, and, you know, we don't, we're not doctors saving lives, but truly the, the, um, what we do adds value to people's lives in a, in a different way and it's, and it's equally as valid. Thank you for your time and your conversation today, Matt. Uh, thanks very much for inviting me. It's been a pleasure. Hit subscribe on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts for more on the Engineering Reimagined podcast series.